Welcome to Catch Outdoors, presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network at waypointtv.com. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis, reporting to listeners each week from the fabulous Florida Keys. Podcast is centered around the great outdoors, especially down here in the most southern regions of the continental U.S. So kick back for the next 40 minutes or so and get a taste of my Florida. This week's episode is number 88, Random Thoughts. Number four. <laughs> I'll get to that in a minute. But first, some news and weekly fishing report. Weather made fishing pretty dicey this past week. Lots of storms, both uh, morning and evening. Uh, the window was about four hours in the morning. Uh, well, after about 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, sometimes earlier, but most of the time, the, the only time and best time to go was early. After that, the storms were, it was pretty ridiculous. Um, but anyway, it was all up and down the Keys. I mean, Key West all the way up here to Key Largo and all the way up into Florida, like Homestead, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, lot, lots of uh, wonderful little pop-up uh, thunder and lightning type stuff. An almost tropical storm-like circulation formed up off of the uh, coast of Georgia, and then it just stalled. Uh, it didn't get any bigger, but it's awfully early. You know, it's like May, and we're like, when, what are you talking about, like a, a tropical circulation? Yes, that's exactly what it looked like on the radar. But the outflow from that and pulling the inflow, as like tropical storms do, really uh, affected the weather all across, some serious disturbed weather all, all across the Florida Keys. And um, yeah, my brother Pete came down to visit on Monday. He was kind of right in the window. <laughs> he was just before the bad stuff started, and it worked out pretty good. We went fishing early on Tuesday morning, got out of here about 7, and got back by 11, and then uh, and then the weather started. But we, we had a really great time. We just kept a close eye on it. You know, it's like, uh, well, we're both captains and he's a pilot. So we're used to looking at the sky and he, he could look at the, the showers out. They were quite a, there was quite a bit of activity. Uh, would that be yeah west of us? As you look down the keys, Southwest, uh, coming out of Isla Mirada and it would come up into Florida Bay where we were and then kind of turn and go North. So we were lucky in that respect, but heavy, heavy rain, big, big showers. But anyway, we both kept an eye on it and the fishing turned out to be really good. We, you know, it was a little slow at first. I'll, I'll tell you that a few little trout and jacks and ladies and things like that. Then we moved to a new area, something I'll confess. I have fished two or three times before and not caught a thing, but it looks right. And I'm not going to go into details because I'm not going to give it away. I'm being overly cautious about that, even though we didn't see a soul where we were. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's just, you know, so we went, we went to it. I mentioned it to him and he said, well, let's go give it a try. So we went over there and today, that today, that day, which was uh, last Tuesday, it was just on and huge barracuda, big sharks, a snapper, trout, you know, a, a very, very busy area. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Pete hooked into a, a giant lemon shark. I'm going to have six feet, uh, 150, 200 pounds. I mean, a real, a light tackle under a bobber. <laughs> we were using popping quartz for trout uh, with some shrimp on it. And also you could, of course, you can put artificials under it too, but we were playing around with shrimp. And, um, you know, and then, I don't know, the cork disappeared and it was off to the races. This lemon shark hit this thing and took off for Cuba. It was pretty amazing, actually. It was just ripping line. Oh, Pete looked around at me and said, it's time to start the motor. And uh, so we, we chased it for a little bit, not too far. Uh, finally, It finally slowed down a little bit. My reels have got 
You'll love this. Got about 300 yards of eight pound test on them. And I'd have to say there was 200 yards gone easy. Uh, so it took work between both of us to get it back. We're both old and feeble, <laughs> you know, hands, shoulders, bad arms, that kind of stuff. We got it in. We got it close enough to the boat to get a photograph of it. But anyway, on a popping cork. So there you go. You never know what's going to happen down here. So that was kind of fun. Um, but in search of new places, you know, I found one. That That's the important thing. It's just one of those things. I put this in my diary notes, my fishing diary notes. I said, I found a new one, sort of, which is true because it wasn't really new. I had been there before. And it looked likely, and it looked like it should have fish on it because it's it's located in kind of a sandy area with an enormous patch of green. Um, grass, beautiful grass, uh, turtle grass, manatee grass, some stuff I've never seen before, like this lacy grass. It was really, really nice. And there were little baits in it all the time. We, I was always seeing like white bait or pinfish or something moving around. So in my brain, it's like, this has got to be the spot. But it wasn't until... Pete showed up and then it was. So there you go. Persistence pays off. Now I've got to do the math and figure out exactly why it's that way. Um, the research in the Florida Keys is difficult. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kid you. I also I think time of day had something to do with it. It was early, early-ish. It wasn't the first stop. Um, and the weather could have been the weather, could have been the low pressure moving in and around. A lot of times that'll set fish off in a big way. So I don't know, but I can tell you one thing. I'm going back there again, see what's going on with it, just to see if it was me or, or Pete's luck. Um, that's all I did. After that, the weather got iffy. Um, so I'm hoping for the weather to pull itself back together to a, to a more normal uh, summer pattern. Uh, it looks like it's going to happen um, over the weekend at the end of it. It's, today's fairly nice day. Today's Sunday in, of the Memorial Day weekend. Hope everybody's having a, a good time out there and being careful and being appreciative of what the uh, soldiers did for all of us over the years, so the military folks. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, I, I always have a difficult time. People will say, Happy Memorial Day. It's not really a happy day. <laughs> Memorial Day is Memorial Day. You know, and, and that's, and I'm a military person, and people will say, you know, thank you for your service. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what today's about. Today's about the people we lost uh, during military service. I, you say Veterans Day for me and, uh, and many others that are still here. Uh, so, yeah, just a public service announcement. Um, so anyway, hopefully this pattern will pull itself together um, because we're rolling into June, and that's when things tend to get to get pretty good. So, matter of fact, June is outrageously good. Let's see. My wife Janelle celebrated her birthday this past week. Celebrated with a dinner at Ziggy and Mad Dog in Isla Mirada, and my first time there. Yeah, I've driven by it about a. 150 times heard about it janelle had had been she went with some of the people the gals from the uh service she's working for now the tourism bunch here in, in the keys and she she came back and she said you're gonna love this place that i really need to go and of course she was right as usual <laughs> man it's fun ziggy and mad dogs is is now in my top three restaurants in the florida keys the filet mignon was perfectly cooked and accompanied by these mushrooms Lordy, uh, garlic and swimming in butter, man. <laughs> Hell, I could have made a dinner out of the mushrooms. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Uh, everything about this place, um, the atmosphere, the crowd, the food, the drinks. It, I'll be back in no time. Um, yeah, yeah, really, really, really worth it. And so glad that I did it. 
and we'll do it again, obviously. Just for the record, my top three in, in no special order, um, The Fish House in Key Largo, Ziggy and Mad Dogs in Isla Mirada, and Louie's Backyard in Key West. Um, there are many, many others, okay, that all serve wonderful food and stuff. But of of all the th- I mean, I've been in a bunch of restaurants on these islands. There's a hundred miles of restaurants uh, and bars. Um, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to rate it Fish House, Ziggy and Mad Dogs, and uh, Louis Backyard for right now. That could change, but I doubt it. I think I found the three that I like the best. Um, notes from the Boat Food Podcast. Um, my friend Edgy said she likes the fresh-made conch salad that you get roadside in the Bahamas just before heading out on a fishing trip. Yes, I totally agree. I've done that. Um, it's delicious, ridiculous, refreshing on a hot day. Uh, that was a side of Click uh, Bahamian beer, and I, I don't think you can go wrong. So yeah, I got, you got to. I've got to put that in there. The conch salad that's made fresh roadside in the Bahamas. Um, Friend Steve mentioned the uh, custom of bringing food for a captain on a charter. Yeah, that still happens. I think he, his question to me on a text was, do they do that or is that still something that happens? Yeah, it does. But it's usually on longer trips. Um, if you're going to go out with a captain over past lunch, so you're going to do a six-hour full-day trip, absolutely. Um, bring something for the captain. You should even ask what they like. Um, so, you know, make it a point to... to uh, Usually a public sub will do the trick, but ask them ask them what they want on it. But essentially, it's on uh, it's on longer trips. That's typically when that that happens. You're doing big offshores, for example, the entire day on a sport fish, for example. There's nothing wrong with bringing the captain a snack or two. You know, yeah, bribes. And then my buddy Travis said uh, I'd forgotten something I had forgotten all about pimento cheese on crackers. Now, for those of you that aren't Southern, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But those of you that have been to the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, pimento cheese is just that. It's a it's a creamy cheese with pimentos in it. It's really good. Um, usually we just smear it on a cracker and on a boat. Yeah, that would work. I have to agree. I hadn't thought about that one, but that would work. Um, um, and at the uh, at Augusta, they serve it as sand. pimento sandwiches. Is something that's uh, traditional at, at the Masters Golf Tournament. So, so there you go. <laughs> Ta-da. Um, episode eighty-eight. Random thoughts number four. Okay, so in season one, um, I did this podcast title three times. Um, obviously, because this is number four. Uh-huh. Uh <laughs> so here we go. You know, <laughs> excuse me, every now and then I just I just run out of I run out of stuff, you know. I just a, a solid one title idea. I mean, I, I just got finished doing the um the boat trilogy as I call it. And uh I was sitting there going, I I can't think of another boat one to do. It kind of went through some stuff in my head. And I'm like, no, no, no. But but I have a, a notepad that I write down ideas on. Also, things that happen, you know, things that happen in the world of boating that I think should be passed along or at least talked about. And they they accumulate. And uh so I'm probably gonna do more random thoughts. I really should. I did three in the first year, and this is the first one this year, and we're already into almost into June, so uh, but it, it it gets it gets some things off the old the old notepad. So it also tends to make for a shorter podcast. I will probably go out to at least thirty. We might hit we might hit the 40, 40 minute. I don't know, but but we'll see what happens here. Um, Florida Keys fishing roundup. June is upon us, and that means fishing is going to be pretty awesome. Um, 
it's my favorite Keys fishing month. Heck, it's my favorite Florida month, to be honest with you. You know, you just it's just hard to beat June. June is pretty much pretty serious storms in the state of Florida. The hurricane season ramps up in August, September, so we're kind of off of that. Doesn't mean it won't happen. We've had plenty of early storms, things I'm old enough to remember several, but in general, that doesn't happen. We do get into rainy season, so we have to watch out for afternoon thunderstorms. And in the Florida Keys, we have this weird weather where, well, it's not weird, it's just the Keys. Um, we have morning showers. You can wake up, the showers will start um, in the early morning hours, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and rain all the way till the sun comes up. And then it just disappears and you're off to a great day. So it's kind of a, a quirky thing, but it's, you know, I like it. Get up in the morning and, and the neat thing about it is it smells nice. I don't know, something about rain on the woods and stuff around you, the beach, it just, you just, hmm, I, I don't know. Plus it cools it off, especially on hot days. But June's coming just a couple days away. This is Sunday. So uh, what is this, May 28th? Yeah, so a few days away, we're going to be right in the middle of it again. Um... The species, I guess, are the, are the biggest thing of all. What, what really happens most is spawns, and a lot of snappers spawn in the springtime, in the early summer springtime. And um, two of the big ones are yellowtail and mutton snapper. They, I mean, yeah, baby, <laughs> two of my favorite eating fish. And plentiful enough where I don't feel guilty taking them out of the water. You know, it's one of those things where I'm 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 starting to put a lot of fish back because I'm concerned about numbers. But in the world of yellowtail, I don't worry too much about that. And in the world of mutton, I don't worry about it because I don't catch a hundred gazillion mutton. You know, usually you get one or two on a trip. But the yellowtail, it's spawn time, and so what happens is the big ones uh, start to get extremely active. Um, you just need to make a slight maneuver. You just need to make a slight change to uh to catch yellowtail and uh you know head deeper i guess that's the best way to put it. most of my yellowtail fishing during the winter time is on the is on the patch reefs and on the edges of the ledge as i call it the where the water drops to like 20 to 40 feet fairly quickly those rocky areas in there are the ones with sea fans and sea life on it i like to work those and just drop you know shrimp right to the bottom and just go for yellowtail put a chum bag out back but in the summertime when the water gets a little warmer and the days get longer, they move off and they move into about 100 feet of water, which, which, as I jokingly put it, is about not even another quarter mile <laughs> from where I am because that drop is so serious. That, that drop is pretty wild. The edge, the edge, as we call it down here, is like, it's like, you know, you're in, you're in 20, you're, well, no, less than that. You're in three or four feet of water on some of the patch reefs. And then all of a sudden it goes to, you know, 18, 13, 18, then it goes to 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. It just bang, just like that, like stair steps right down the side, move off, get into the darker colored water, get into the hundred feet of water and, Use just enough weight to get the bait to the bottom. This is the secret of yellowtail fishing. Yellowtail are very, very persnickety. And like, for example, when you put a chum block out back, you I use a, I use a line with no weight and a circle hook on it. And I basically put it in the current and let it get pushed back into the chum line, just as if it were a natural piece of chum. And it will get taken much more easily that way by yellowtail. Um, if you put weight on it and do anything that doesn't look quite right, they'll ignore it, or you'll just get the little ones. You won't get any of the smarter big ones. Um, in 100 feet of water, you're not going to really be doing that. You're going to be dropping bait down to the bottom, and you just don't want to overweight. Uh, you still want something fairly light. Knocker rigs work pretty well. You know, you want it, but you want to 
um, I don't know, keep it small. The only advice I can really just keep it small. Uh, Circle hooks, shrimp works great. Cut bait works better. Um, You know, cut mullet. Um, I like to keep some ladyfish if at all possible. Pinfish, cut pinfish, or or white bait. Live white bait works good too. You can drop that down to the bottom. Um, so that's some that's some secrets for you. Some points to get in that yellowtail this time of year, especially the month of June. It's it's going to be rich. It really is. Oh yeah, something else I need to mention in relation to fishing in a hundred feet of water that I almost forgot. Uh, venting tools are required. Um, now so read the rules what's a venting tool venting tool is to vent a fish that blows up you know that you got to release back to the bottom you start bringing fish up from greater than 35 40 feet their their swim bladders are going to blow up and when you try to release them they're going to float around on the surface and a bird or a shark or somebody will nail them the survival rate goes way down so it's important that you take care of that and the venting tool is what you use i'm not going to go into the details of how to use it right here right now but um Understand that the rules for offshore fishing are you are required to have one as part of your gear on board the boat if you fish offshore. So make sure you look into that. Make sure you get one, and make sure you use it properly. Learn how learn how to use it properly. Um, real important that you know how to use it properly. Okay, I'm a light tackle fisherman. I do a lot of fly and a lot of light tackle spin, and I like artificials quite a bit. Baits in my mind, baits for the outside and artificials for the inside that's just the way i i don't know i mean you know if you want big numbers on the inside you probably should get white bait and go at it but uh, for or shrimp but uh, i don't know <laughs> i'm lazy in my old age i don't want to have to buy shrimp i don't have to and i certainly don't want to throw a cast net it's almost impossible for me to throw a cast net now my back doesn't allow that i wish it did at times um so i in the, in my world june is just another name for bonefish Okay, so the month of June is like that's that we have flats all up and down the keys. And the bones will be schooling up on these things in June. Actually they start back in May, but the reality is June June for me is like it's just on fire. I love it. Um, and if you've never caught a bone or if you've worked hard at it and just had no success, June's probably your best shot for getting it done. Um, flats boats required, something skinny water. Um, you know, a skiff of some sort. Um, I don't like the pole or trolling motor form. Um, I would rather figure out a pattern and sit. Um, it, I mean, the guides that you go out with down, especially off Alamorada in that area, they will definitely pull the boat looking for schools of bonefish. Nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, that's the way it's been done for decades. Um, but my boat, I'm first of all, I get back to too old. I can't pull a boat, man. I'm too old to be pulling a boat around now. But I have a trolling motor, and the trolling motor is very, very quiet. The new ones nowadays are great, but they'll still scare a bonefish. Um, bonefish are skittish as hell. They just are, and that, that's just the nature of the beats. But they are one of the most fun things to hook into on the planet. Um, for their size, they will literally run you all the way down into the bottom of the spool if you're not careful. Um, and we have these great flats around Key Largo that hold bonefish. So June, June is it. June means bonefish for me. Um, I set up uh, in an area. And again, this is going to take some experimentation on my part because I haven't fished the flats up here. I know of them. I know where they are and I've seen the bonefish. So I know I'm in the right spot. But in order to really be successful at it, you have to plant the boat in an area where they're going to come by. And then you make casts to them. Uh, while they're not paying attention, while they've got their faces down looking for food in the marl and in the bottom, 
kind of like red fishing on, in, on the west coast of Florida, where you set up and just wait for those reds to come by with their faces down in the grass and their tail up in the air, waving like flags to let you know that they're there. The bone fishing is very, very similar to that. It's just that the water is crystal clear and those daggone bonefish have got eyes like an eagle. And so you have to be much, much stealthier. So you anchor up, watch for them to come across the flats, usually pretty good-sized schools of them, and then make a cast in front and <laughs> definitely not on top of them. Uh, game over, and you get to start over. Um, I use, typically, it's I like to have like spin gear that's lightweight, 8-pound test braid, and a 20-pound leader. I use a 20-pound only for the purpose that occasionally you're going to get a cuda or something that's going to attack it that you didn't see. Um, and then the smallest little lures that you can come up with. Um, I personally like the little uh, spade head jigs. They make small ones. They're, the head is, is, is shaped like a, an arrow. And I like brown. I'm really nuts about the brown ones. And I will actually take scissors to them and shorten the hair down quite a bit and get the lightest, little ones, littlest ones I can find. Tip them with shrimp? Yes, you can. I mean, on a tough day or late, you know, when the water starts to get really warm as you get to the end of June and into July, that works great. It also puts a little stink in the water that the fish can find. So, I mean, that, yeah, you can do that. I wouldn't put a whole shrimp on. I'd do like a piece of a shrimp and stick it on there and uh, just enough to give it a little scent on the hook itself. But that's the one I go with. I mean, that that's my go-to bonefish lure. I, I really like using those. Now, in the world of fly, hmm, let me think about that. Uh, crazy Charlie. Yeah, the crazy Charlie. There's so many flies and so many tires and so many people that tie flies that go, this will work better than it. And yeah, they do. They work great. But the crazy Charlie's been around. <laughs> that's another one that's been around for decades. And it's just, I don't know. It just, it works. It's just absolutely. And I will not go bone fishing without them on fly. Um, favorite colors, the tan, as I mentioned before, that tan, that light brownie color and pink. And my rule of thumb with the bonefish are if pink's not working, tan will. And if tan's not working, pink will. Generally, they, the two colors do not work on the same day. <laughs> I'm just speaking from experience from fish in Alamorada. I haven't done much up here in Key Largo yet. It could be different up here. I mean, the fish are weird, right? They, they, as they travel from spot to spot, they look for different types of food. So I'll have to have to mess with that over the month of June and give you reports. But for all intents and purposes, uh, those two colors are my absolute go-to. Please, this is some advice I'm going to give you. Keep your distance from other boats. Bone fishermen are a hostile bunch. <laughs> I'm just being perfectly frank with you. You know, it, this is a quiet, silent business. This is a move slowly, stay out of the way, don't upset the bonefish business. Um, I've walked among the bonefish in the Bahamas. Believe me, even a step in the wrong direction can send a, a, a whole school of bones in the opposite direction of what you wanted them to go. And sometimes it'll absolutely scatter them. You're, you're kind of done in that spot. Same thing with the boats. The boats create a lot of pressure on the water. They send the pressure wave out as the boat moves on to the water area. Get yourself as quiet as possible as soon as possible and stay the heck away from other guys out, the guys and gals out there fishing. If they're already on the water and they're already set up, you don't want to be anywhere. I think, I think our charts show a hundred yards. It might be, I think it's a hundred yards between boats. So that's a football field from goal to goal. So, so keep that in mind. If you can read a number 
or can tell what kind of shirt they're wearing, you're probably way, way, way too close. Get yourself a really good pair of, go ahead and say it out loud. I've put it on a bunch of other podcasts, polarized sunglasses. I know. I know. I've mentioned it several times because it's important. And the, and the prettier that water is, the more important it is. Even if it's tannin water, if it looks like tea, you're going to see better if you have on a pair of amber lens uh, polarized sunglasses. Spend the bucks. It's worth it. $250 will get you a great pair. $250 will get you a great pair. Get you a neck chain so you don't lose them. Uh, and take good care of them. There are dozens of brands out there now. Um, you know, lots of... I. They're just there everywhere. Costa is a big one. Smith's uh, Ocean Waves is back in business again. There's there are some really really good glasses out there, ranging in price from one ninety nine to three hundred and some dollars. A lot of it depends on style and things like that. Amber lenses and green lenses are what I tend to use. Bone fishing on the outside of the islands, you might want to go blue to help cut that that glare from the sand a little bit. But if you're fishing uh, near backcountry waters or grass or marl bottom, I prefer the amber. I think the amber does really well. So there you go. There, I've said it for the 19th time. The mix of fish from backcountry to offshore to trolling is just fantastic in June. Um Anglers will have shots at tarpon. They're still moving, man. May was good. It looks like June's going to be better. I can't believe it. But I thought they would be kind of tracking out, but no way. They're, they're still doing it. Good reports. Big fish photos, too. Um, permit, snapper, wahoo, everything in between. <laughs> I'm going to spend as much time as I can fishing in June. I'm going to tell you that right now. Okay, let's switch gears. <clears throat> kind of big time, really. Well, no, same, same but not. I've discovered just how brutal the sun is down this way when it comes to orchids. <laughs> I told you it was going to be a big switch. That's right, orchids. I'm doing my best to provide shade and have, and I found the best way has been with one of those huge patio umbrellas. I finally ordered one. You know, the kind you see at restaurants and stuff. Um, it works pretty well. Opens and closes easily. I was asked this. That's why I brought this up during this podcast. I was asked this. Actually, I got a couple emails about my orchids. I haven't talked about them much recently. So like, okay, what's the orchid deal? The orchid deal is the sun will absolutely brutally <laughs> ruin them. Um, and the sun rays here are even more direct than anywhere. Even Fort Lauderdale and, and the west coast of Florida, it's just it's insane how direct the sun can be. In the, right around noon, starting, well, maybe even, well, yeah, noon. Noon until about 3 o'clock is just unreal. So... Hand crank opening on these umbrellas. I'll make it another one. They're big. I don't know, probably 12 feet across. They're really, really large when they're opened up. And you can put a lot of plants underneath them, put boxes out and put, put them directly under the umbrella. And it works pretty well. Um, I've had to keep more shade on my uh, phalaenopsis than anything else. They seem to, The leaves seem to be more delicate on them than any of the other orchids I've ever messed with. So that's been my the major part of my collection is phalaenopsis because they're pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and typically easy to grow. Not a problem growing them. It's hard keeping the sun off of them. Um, so I've started. I've, I've decided to kind of pass this along to listeners. I, I, I talked to my friend Angie, and Angie is she's also nuts about orchids. And she mentioned dendrobiums. I well, I I have dendrobiums in my collection, not too many of them. And I was I noticed that they seem to be much more tolerant of sun. Not not blazing hot sun, but I mean incidental sunlight and they and they do well and they look good and i mentioned that to her and she says well they they work great in sun and that's that's 
I said, okay, that's enough reason for me to move over and, and start working on that collection. Uh, keep messing with my uh, other other orchids, but add these uh, one at a time and see how they do. So that's why I did this on this podcast. For those of you that are the orchid people, then you listen and were wondering what happened to orchid stuff. I have a recommendation. If you're in bright, hot sunshine and you're having difficulty with shade and things like that, then dendrobiums might be something you want to look at. And they're beautiful orchids too, but a lot of the dendrobiums have odor too. Phalaenopsis is rarely smell. So you have this beautiful orchid that has no odor. Um, whereas the dendrobiums do. Matter of fact, I got one. Angie gave it to me. It smells like raspberries when it's when it's blooming. It's crazy. So the hunt is on. Uh, I happen to live in an area. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, just north of Key Largo is Florida City and Homestead. Homestead grows everything you can possibly imagine that everybody up north likes to use vegetable-wise, especially in the wintertime. Our winter crops are pretty amazing, especially tomatoes. Heck, we grow blueberries, strawberries, all kinds of stuff down here. Uh, lettuce, you name it, beans. So, But we also grow all kinds of house plants and house flowers and flowering bed plants, the kind that let you guys, if you're up north, you know, you go out to like the Lowe's or the Home Depot in the spring and they got all those pretty flowers, that's where they come from, come from down here. And uh, we also just happen to have about a half a zillion orchid growers. So one of these days, I'm going to get on the road, and I'm going to head up the road into Homestead and go peruse the, uh, the different orchid places and see what I can find in the, in the dendrobium family. Hey, here we go again. Another tangent. <laughs> I'm already almost at 30 minutes. I don't think I'm going to have a problem doing 45 all of a sudden. Ladies and gents, but mostly ladies out there, when it comes to spas and spa days, we have more of them than you can possibly imagine here in the Florida Keys. Actually, almost every resort in Florida has some sort of spa thing going on. I found one in Key Largo that you all should be sure to check out. I was looking for a birthday gift for Janelle. Her birthday uh, was two days ago, 26th. And um, I thought, you know, I need to get her just something. And she's been traveling all the over. She went to a big convention out in Texas. She had to go to a very, very close friend's funeral up in Orlando, uh, and then back home again and into Miami. I picked her up late in the evening at Miami, drove back, didn't get home till 10 o'clock. Like it was just, she just had a lot going on for a whole week. And I thought, you know, I'm going to get her something nice for her birthday. And she has, this is the girl that has most everything. And I thought, what, what, what am I? Oh, I know a spa, spa treatment. Ladies love spas. I heck, you know what? I don't mind a good back rub either at a good resort, but anyway, so because of all of her crazy travels, I, I started looking and um, I had one of those aha moments, you know, and I got online and I simply typed in best spas in the Keys and best spa in Key Largo. And this one place just kept popping up. People were like, oh, you got to go here. And the Playa Largo Resort, which is literally down the road from us on the Bay Side. I'm like, yeah, I've driven by that. And you can't see it from the road. You see the sign because most of these resorts are buried back in the woods. You know, the entrances are. And, and I thought, all right, I'll drive down there and take a look. Well, let me tell you what. The property is really, really nice. The spa was beautiful. And I got her a nice big old spa package. So she can go down there. She can book it whenever she wants to. And she can spend part of the day or all the day if she wants. I, I don't care. Whatever makes her happy and whatever makes her feel good. So there you go. I know, I know. I'm a really good husband. I try to take care of things. So I bet that's the first time you've ever heard about spas on this podcast. So <laughs> indulge, indulge, do it, especially here in the Keys. The reason my brother was down um, a few weeks ago is for old friends. Um, yeah, I'm, okay, it's another, another subject. 
See how I bounce around with these? I like doing this. I may do this more often. <laughs> I'm clearing that notepad, let me tell you right now. My brother came down last week, arrived on a Monday. He actually he actually was up at his son's house up in Deerfield Beach. His son was having trouble with the pool pump. And my brother being the ultimate mechanical person on the planet, he can fix anything. I swear he can. Um, he went over there and helped him replace the pool pump and filter and some plumbing and things like that for the pool and get things running. And while he was up there, since he's right up the road, he's already on this side of the state. He said, I'm going to come down. I said, come on down. Let's go fishing. So he did. But the ulterior motive was a good friend of ours from many, many years ago named Greg, Greg Gregory. Uh, we grew up with him next door in Clearwater and his brother, John and sister, Nancy. So, and this was one of those typical Florida neighborhoods, three bedroom, two baths with a garage. And we lived next door to each other and everyone just, uh, we just had a blast. I mean, I cannot think of a childhood that was better than, than ours. I really can't because we spent all of our time outside um, and it was an interesting neighborhood. Um, my dad was the banker and just about everybody else's dad worked for, for the uh, space program because that's what was going on back then. Uh, they, they were building rockets. You know, they were trying to, trying to get Mercury program off the ground and then eventually into you know, Gemini and Apollo. And that's what all these other dads did. So it was a fascinating neighborhood to live in. It really was and, and very interesting. And um, Greg's dad... Uh, he, he was cool too. He really was. Greg's dad would build sailboats in the backyard garage. You know, of course that's just intriguing to us as kids. Cause that's all we ever wanted to do was be on the water. So Greg was coming down with a group of people. I have not seen Greg since 1968 when we left Clearwater Yeah, we left Clearwater, moved up to Louisville. And then after that was the struggle after the going to Louisville, all of the, well, I know my sister went up in the Carolinas, but my brother and I were like, we were getting back to Florida as soon as possible. My brother won, won that contest. Uh, he, he uh, went to school at Embry-Riddle in Daytona. So he was able to turn around and get, get back and do an aviation, uh, into the aviation field much, much quicker than I was. I did Coast Guard and then I managed to get back. But, uh, but anyway, Greg and his group of friends were all going to be down in Marathon. They were going to have a, a, a restaurant evening uh, down there in Marathon. And so he contacted me by email, by the way, or no, by uh, Facebook. And, and I want to mention that people, people have this thing about social media sometimes. And, and I get it. There are some problems with it. And there's some false news and fake stuff going on. But when it comes to keeping track of old friends and people you haven't seen in years, I really don't think there's anything better. Um, it's, it's, it's really wonderful. Um, and that's what he was doing. So he contacted me and said, they're going to be at the Island Fish Company, a restaurant I really happen to like down in Marathon. And why don't you come down? I said, I, I will. And I told my brother about it. And he was kind of iffy at first, but then this whole Deerfield Beach with his son thing came up and he came down. So Yes, we fished on Tuesday, but Tuesday evening we went to dinner and met up with those folks. It was really, really cool. Um, Clearwater at that time was the baby boomer stuff was just just building like crazy. Uh, we would we would play in the jungle. We would play in the swamp. We'd go in places you weren't supposed to go. We'd get hosed off in the backyard by our parents after we got home to get the mud off of us. It was it was just absolutely insane. We played in the woods and swamps. I mean, that's what we did. And then we got on this building kick. 
because of the building boom in Clearwater, they were putting houses up right and left behind us and, and in our neighborhood. It was pretty crazy. We lived in an old orange grove is where we lived. And um, we would scavenge those piles of the, scrap, of the scrap wood that they put out front, all the little pieces of plywood and stuff, and take it up and build forts. We, even, we built a three-story fort behind Greg and John's house next door to us. Probably the most glamorous, you know, inside ladders. And <laughs> yeah, we were pretty industrious kids. We really were. So anyway, but we told a lot of great stories, and it was wonderful to see people. If you have a chance to go hunting on Facebook for your old friends that live in the neighborhood, I would highly recommend it. The conversation was wonderful, and we're looking forward to doing it again. Okay, shifting gears once again. I'm pretty good at this. Subject of seasickness came up again. A couple of conversations, probably because of the recent weather. At times, uh, there was one day I think we had 11 footers out there. <laughs> no, you're not going to go boating in that. But six or seven is doable in these big sport fish dudes. I mean, they, they go out there. As a matter of fact, generally when it's rougher, the fishing tends to be better, but not so much for those that suffer from seasickness or motion sickness. Um, the ocean down this way is beautiful, and it's attractive to folks, but sometimes that swell action can just be a big, big problem for some. So I thought, I'm, I made a little list of this a while, I think it was several weeks ago. Um, I, I had been out there on the ocean myself on a day, I'm thinking, man, this would be bad for some people. And I, you know, and I was fishing the nearshore patch reefs, and it was kind of rolling me around. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't, I, don't, I don't get seasick, thank goodness, but I could see where it would be very uncomfortable for some people. So I made these notes and I thought, all right, I'm going to write down the quick cures, sort of the quick cures. There's one that I did not write down that I'll mention before I forget it. Ginger ale. Uh, it'll settle the stomach quite a bit. If you've had problems on water, uh, if you're going on a cruise, you're going on a trip, you're going to go on an overnight on a boat out in the ocean, take some ginger ale with you. Trust me on this one. A few sips of ginger ale will settle you. I don't know why it works. I guess the ginger in it. But anyway, that's, that's a real quick cure, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but these might help. Okay. I know it's not fun, but these might help. Uh, let's see. The most, the most obvious would be, um, don't go out there <laughs> or get off the water and go home. You know, it's like when it starts to feel bad or it doesn't look right, then you probably shouldn't do it. But you can also get in the water if it's safe to do so. That's a trick that a lot of captains use if you're not at the fishing hole, if you haven't put chum in the water. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you feel bad and you just get in the water next to the boat, you'll be fine. It just, it goes away. So there you go. You don't want to do that if you've been fishing for obvious reasons. But I mean, if you're out like, and you're getting ready to snorkel on a patch reef or something, and you, get, you don't feel so good, the sooner you get in the water, the better. And your snorkeling stuff will be fine. You'll be, you'll be great. It won't bother you at all. I will tell you a really funny story. Well, it wasn't funny for Janelle, but it was funny. It was, okay, it's funny to tell it now. I was sailing with some friends of ours off of Cape Canaveral, and we went into a storm. And then after the storm, we had swells on this big sailboat, 40, 48 footer, I think it was. And Janelle was feeling pretty bad. She's subject to seasickness. And um, so we put a float out back. We put her, actually, no, we put her in a life jacket, one of those great big Fannie Mae life jackets and put her off the back of the sailboat and then let out some line while we were underway. So the sailboat's only doing about three miles an hour or so. And she's in tow and she's smiling. She's happy. You know, the seasickness went right away. And then we saw the shark. <laughs> True story. <laughs> so we start 
reeling her in real careful and real slow. And we got her up there. We told her and she looked and she said, I don't even believe that happened. So, so when I say only do it when it's safe, I really mean it. Basically we were trolling my wife and which is, (laughs) we still tell that story, but funny now, but not funny then. So get in the water if it's safe. Otherwise don't. Pre-trips, Dramamine. Yeah, it works. It's great stuff. Um, you can get it at the grocery at the grocery. Well, you can get it at the grocery store, grocery store, or the drugstore. Just don't take too much; it'll make you sleepy. That's the only problem with Dramamine, make you sleepy. Another one's Benadryl. Benadryl works well too. You can get that in tablet form. Just go light on it. Don't don't get don't. Oh, I'm going to take three of these because I get real seasick. Don't do that. Uh, it'll just make you sleepy and dopey, and then the whole point of the trip will be, yeah, taking a nap. Um, so take a low dose of it, see if it works and kind of experiment with that. It may take a couple trips to get it right, but Dramamine really works very, very well as a, as a pre pre med for going out there. For those of you that have motion sickness, patches are another good preventative measure. Um, they're, they're actually natural. Some of them are natural. They don't even use some drugs and like, like Dramamine type drugs in them. There's a company called Shippies, S-H-I-P-E-E-Z. That's one I'm aware of. I've seen people bring it on the boat when I was a guide. Um, and I looked it up on the web. It's still available, but, uh, it's a little bitty patch. It looks like one of those round band-aids and you put it behind your ear lobe, like low behind your ear lobe right there on your upper neck. And only one, just one on one side, and it will usually take care of it. Um, I've talked to people that have used those throughout an entire cruise, a one-week cruise. They'll have them on. They're like, oh, yeah, it it takes care of the problem. So there you go. Um, Let's see. And then there's the ultimate, the seasick watch. That's what I call them, the seasick watch. Um, These are really interesting. They are actually, you put it on your wrist like a wristwatch, kind of looks like an Apple watch, only it's it's sort of backwards because part of it's on the pulse. It's on the inside of your wrist. And what it does is it uses electrical impulses, which you can turn up or down. In other words, it's either really comfortable and weak or holy crap, that thing just shocked the hell out of me. <laughs> and I don't know how that works. I ain't a doctor. <laughs> so, but I know it works. Um, Captain Alex Dolinsky, a good friend of mine, had him on his boat and uh, offshore boats. And when we would go out and Janelle would have problems, she'd put that on and bingo, that took care of it right off the bat. We'd get rid of the seasickness. So uh, they do work. They ain't cheap. Uh, I went on the web before I made the podcast and looked just to see what was out there. About 150 bucks to about $300 would get you a really good one. $99, I'd be a little leery. You know, I guess you need to read the reviews and see what p- people's reactions are to them, but I know the more expensive ones work. Um, one that I am aware of is called Relief Band. R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, all one word, relief band. Those are very popular. I believe those are also carried at West Marine. So if you don't want to order it online, you want to go in and take a look at them and see how they work, you can go to West Marine and pick one up. Public surface announcement. Yeah, we're going to run all the way to 45. Easy on this one. By the time you listen to this hurricane season, is going to be upon us here in Florida. It starts June 1 and doesn't end until November the 30th, peak being September. So do yourself and your loved ones a favor. Get ready. Have a plan for evacuation and what you're going to bring with you when you leave. Important papers, passports, things like that, supplies of medicine, prescription drugs. Got pets? Make a plan. We have got a couple of cats, so we use cat carriers. Don't forget the food and water for your pets. As of right now, May 28th, when I'm recording this podcast, through June 9th, there's a tax-free holiday on hurricane supplies in Florida right now. Batteries, flashlights, generators. That'd be a big savings. 
Now would be a good time to stock up and save some money. Also, I didn't know this until I looked it up this morning. There's a second tax relief period in Florida from August the 26th through September the 8th. So for all you procrastinators out there, there's a second one. My advice, don't put it off. Get ready, especially if you live in an evacuation zone. As a matter of fact, the Florida Keys are one great big entire evacuation zone. Uh, Florida Keys, if there's a Hurricane Cat 1 or 2 anywhere in the vicinity or looking like it might be here, visitors have got to go 48, 48 hours in advance. Cat 3 or above, everyone goes to the mainland. We do not have shelters on the island. There's a reality check for you. The nearest shelter is up at uh, FIU near the National Hurricane Center in Miami. So that's where all of us would go if we wanted to get out of the way. So please keep that in mind. Last year's Hurricane Ian killed 149 people in 19 Florida counties, with Lee County leading the way with 72 storm-related deaths. Most of those were folks that didn't leave when told to do so. I personally think there's a bit more to that than noted. For years, the National Hurricane Center had been warning about storm surges that just didn't come, so residents got complacent. You can't do that. You have to understand the water is much more destructive than wind. If you're told to get out of the way, get out of the way. Thanks to you all. Thank, thank, honestly, thank you all so much for the notes and stuff. I'm getting great texts now, great emails, suggestions for stuff on the podcast, also comments, and I really appreciate that. I love the feedback, so keep it up. And uh, the email to reach me is catch you outdoors. That's C H catch you <laughs> out catch you yeah catch you outdoors at gmail.com. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. My podcasts are scheduled for each and every Tuesday. If you enjoyed listening, please tell a friend, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Catch Outdoors is presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network. It's available on Waypoint and many of your favorite podcast providers. Facebook page is Catch Outdoors. Websites, catchoutdoors.com and waypointtv.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy.